Go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Kings. I'm going to begin in verse number one. This is from the New Living Translation. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a jar of oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty containers as you can from your friends and neighbors. Go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your jar into the containers, setting each one aside as it is filled. She did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and containers, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your son can live on what is left over. We have this story, the supernatural abundance of God, supplied through a means that is not natural. If there is a supply in a jar, that supply is limited. If you have a jar of anything at home, the contents of that jar are clearly seen. And you know if you pour it all out, that's it. Except in this situation, this widow poured and poured and poured and poured and poured and poured. You have to get into these Bible stories and think about what's going on. Instead of just reading, okay, and this happened, and then then there were all these containers, and then it stopped. What's going through this woman's mind? What's going through the boy's mind? Come on, this is happening. There's no other narrative provided, but was there, a, was, there a, was there a discussion going on here where the boy said, Mom, how is this happening? Was the mom saying, I don't understand. This was an eight-ounce jar. And yet we filled a gallon here and a quart there. And a, this is incredible. In reading the story, rather than being stoic about it, is insert yourself in the story and get yourself a little excited. Wait a minute, what's going on? Oh my gosh, look what's happening. This is what the prophet said to do, and I'm doing it. I'm doing as he told me, and God is making provision for me. Now what we see is several things that happen in the story that I want to key in on. I'm going to look at four things. The problem, the plan, the practice, and the provision. The problem, the plan, the practice, and the provision. In this story, the problem is easy to see. For this woman, this is the perfect storm of events. Her husband has died. The creditor is at her door, and there's a threat that her children are going to be taken to pay off the debt by putting them into involuntary servitude, slavery. These are very serious situations. Again, Insert yourself in the story. What is it like to be a person realizing your whole world is coming crashing down around you? What is it like to be a woman whose husband's died and now you have this great debt, you're grieving over the loss of your husband, you have this great debt, and now the potential of your your children being taken away? This is the situation we find ourselves in. This is where this woman cries out to the prophet. She explains the problem to him, and she cries out to the prophet. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 15, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
the prophet is a representative of God. He's God's representative in the Old Testament. He speaks for God and he acts on behalf of God. So when she's crying to the prophet, she's crying out to God. Psalm says that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers. Hears and delivers. Hears and delivers. There are moments in life where we have spoken to people and perhaps have been frustrated by some people. Frustrated to the point where as we're speaking, we get the impression that the person is not hearing us, so we might make this statement. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you? That's a frustration. Let's not be frustrated with God. When the Bible says he hears, it also says he acts. So we know he hears us. Are you listening? Are you? He hears you. He hears your cry. He hears the cry of the righteous. Number one, and not only does he hear it, he responds. And it says he delivers the righteous out of their trouble. If the Lord is delivering the righteous out of their trouble, then it must be possible for the righteous to be in trouble. He can't take you out of something you're not in. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If he delivers, if God delivers the righteous out of trouble, then it must be possible for the righteous to be in trouble. You cannot be removed from a situation you're you're not in. Now, I'm pointing this out because sometimes believers have this idea of, why is this happening to me? Well, because you're a believer, it doesn't make you immune to the trials of life. The trials of life don't cease to exist because you've come to Christ. Perhaps you've noticed that when you come to Christ, it's not too long until you may experience more trouble. Because before you were on the opponent's team, but you change teams. And so the opponent, Satan, the devil, finds that to be problematic. He begins to attack. He begins to discourage. We can find ourselves in trouble. But the Lord hears the cries of the righteous and does what? He delivers them out of half their trouble. Is that what it says? No. It says he delivers them out of all their troubles, all their troubles, all their troubles, all their, all means all. No exclusions, no fine print. And it's pretty simple. The Lord hears the cry of the righteous and he delivers them out of all their trouble. Come on, hang on to that too. Hang on to that too. So we have the problem. A woman in a very desperate situation, she cries out to the man of God, Elisha, And his response, and I like this, how may I help you? The prophet of God, how may I help you? And again, I'm just putting my own tone in there. You can put what you want. I don't think he was, what do you want, lady? I believe he was tender. I believe he was gentle. I believe he was speaking on behalf of God the Father. How can I help? What can I do to help you in this situation? He begins to unveil a plan to her. And that plan begins with a second question. That second question is, what do you have in the house? What do you have? It reminds me of a commercial from a few years ago about a credit card. What's in your wallet? And so he's posing the question, hey, what do you have in the house? And her response is truthful. She doesn't make anything up. Nothing except a jar of olive oil. That's all I've got. Apparently, not only is her husband dead, she's in debt. 
threatened of having her sons taken away, but it sounds as if uh, there are meager pickings in her house as well, that the resources or supplies, the food supply is dwindling too. All I have is this jar of olive oil. And the prophet begins to unveil a, unveil a plan to her. He gives her three things. He said, borrow as many empty containers as you can, pour olive oil from your jar into the containers, and set each one aside as it is filled. Very particular things that she is supposed to do. This is where faith meets reality. What is your thought if the prophet said that to you? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Take that little jar of oil you have. You got the big basin over there. You got this gallon jug. You got all these. And just pour. And when it's full, set it aside. Pour. When it's full, set it aside. I'm not in this situation, but I could imagine that my thought might be, this, this doesn't make sense. As soon as I turn this thing over, <laughs> the contents are done, and that's it. I can't fill up anything with this. Now, the Bible doesn't record that there was any inner turmoil for her, but many of us face those kind of challenges. And when God speaks, it's better not to rationalize, try to figure it out. I've discovered me trying to figure out God is, is not a good idea. What is my ability, my intellectual ability compared to God, who knows the end from the beginning? And I'm trying to figure it out. A lesson we can glean from this is when the prophet spoke to the woman, we notice actually she responded to the prophet. It doesn't say she thought about it for a while. Then it said she got the containers. Her sons went out and got containers. They closed themselves in the room as they were told and began to do what the prophet said. Step one, step two, step three. Step one, step two, step three. And they poured and filled the container and poured and filled the container and poured and filled the container and poured and filled the container. And when they had no more containers, then the supply stopped. So we have the problem, a woman who has encountered a series of events, anyone taken in by themselves is a devastating moment. All of them together, I don't know that you want to get out of bed in the morning. She cries out to the prophet. The prophet gives her a plan. She has to respond to that plan, and that's the third part is the practice. She has to decide whether she's going to do what she was told to do or ignore it. The supply that God has for her comes through her obedience to what she's been told to do. So in the practice, we see, again, she filled one jar after another. Every container was full to the brim, and the oil stopped flowing when there were no more containers. So she received a plan, and she put the plan into practice. She received the plan, and then she put the plan into practice. In the subject I teach, which is mathematics, I try very hard to come up with a series of steps that I can give to students. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Now, some problems are very, very complicated, which makes it much more challenging for me to come up with a series of steps because the steps might take three pages, so it becomes almost pointless to do that. But on simpler problems, do this, do this, do this. When I taught Algebra 1 for solving linear equations, I would say there are five steps. And that's why I'd give the steps to the students. Distribute, combine like terms, get variables on one side, undo addition and subtraction, undo multiplication or division, in that order. I, I can't figure this out. I... So I would say to my students, and I still do some more complicated problems, what, what's step number one? There's no point in trying to get to step number two if you didn't do step number one. What's step number one? Distribute. All right. 
Did you distribute? No. And so I'll sit with a student or stand there by them while they're doing it. And they do the first step, distribute. I say, great. What's step number two? Step number two. I said, they say, I don't know. I said, where are your notes? They fish out their notes. So what's step number two? Combine like terms. Great. On the right-hand side of the equation, are there any like terms? Yes. Which ones? These. Great. Combine them. It's this. True. Write it down. How about the other side? No like terms. Good. Just drag that down then. And we go through the series of steps. And lo and behold, after you finish step five, the solution to the equation reveals itself. And so this woman faced a problem. Elisha provided a plan, but she had to work the plan. She had to go through the series of steps she was provided. If she failed to do any of the steps along the way, then the outcome would not have been assured. It's not because God's trying to withhold things from us. There's obedience involved in this Christian walk, if you didn't know that. God is extremely gracious, and I will preach that to the day I die. God is very gracious, but he also wants our obedience. And so when he speaks, we should respond through obedience to what he says. This is why we don't want to have preconceived notions or ideas about how God's going to deliver us from our problems. One time he does it this way, another time he does it this way, and he'll say, here's the plan. And sometimes it's just simple obedience, sometimes it's just simple faith. The Bible says if you have faith like a child, and if you've been around children, you have children, or even if you have grandchildren, you can begin to understand really what that means, faith of a child, because you speak to a child at a certain point in their life, and they just believe. They just believe what you tell them, and that's childlike faith. God speaks, okay, Father. We come like little children. Just obey. Respond to his voice. So we had the problem. We had the plan. The woman put the plan into practice, and the provision came. Now, the provision came through the olive oil, the multiplication of olive oil, the supernatural multiplication of olive oil. And then we also see the prophet gave her some other details to do after she had exhausted all the containers. He said, go and sell the oil. Remember the original problem here. She, her husband is no longer alive. She has a debt to pay, and she's been threatened with her sons being taken away from her. In order not to have her sons taken away, she has to pay the debt. The prophet has provided the plan. So he said, sell. Go and sell that oil to pay off the debt. And then he also says, live on what is left over. We see in this simple statement, God's provision for the present and God's provision for the future. Take what you have and sell it to pay your debt and whatever's left, use that to live on. That's future. Debt is now to live on is future. So God provided for her in the present moment and provided for her future as well. And how great is that? God's not concerned merely about, okay, you got the situation, let me get you out of that. And then you're like, well, I still have nothing. <laughs> I don't have any biscuit in the cupboard. I don't have any mac and cheese. So the debt's paid, but we're still, we're still in a dire situation. Nope. The debt's paid, and guess what? I have something, some more for you as well. And notice there was no waste here either, that once the containers were exhausted, the supply stopped. But we see in the supply, God provided more than enough, enough to meet the need and enough for the future. Come on, cling to the promises of God and recognize He wants to provide for your present, and He wants to provide for your future as well. Provision for you now and provision for you as the days unfold. 
God is a faithful God. God is a good God. So we had the problem, the plan, the practice, and the provision. And this reminds me of a second story, the story of the five loaves and two fish. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, it says, later that afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus and said, it's going to be dark soon and the people are hungry. There's nothing to eat here in this desolate place. You should send the crowds away to the nearby villages to buy some food for themselves. Now, this is a day of, Jesus had been doing ministry. They're all out in this area away from the city, country, let's say. And now evening is coming, and the people have been listening to Jesus all day long. But the disciples are looking around, and they've been here all day. And again, there's a problem. And the disciples bring that problem to Jesus. Verse 16, Jesus responds, they don't need to leave. You can give them something to eat. They answered, but all we have is five barley loaves and two fish. Jesus said, let me have them. Then he had everyone sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up into heaven, gave thanks to God, and broke the bread into pieces. He then gave it to the disciples, who in turn gave it to the crowds, and everyone ate till they were satisfied. Till they were what? Satisfied. For the food was multiplied. Sounds like that oil. The food was multiplied in front of their eyes. They picked up the leftovers and filled up 12 baskets full. There were about 5,000 men who were fed in addition to many women and children. I want to look at these four things one more time in the New Testament just so you can see this is not a one-time occurrence, but that God is in the business of supplying needs. God is in the business of hearing the cries of his people and delivering out of those situations. The problem, the people are hungry and there's nothing to eat. The plan, in the same way that the prophet Elisha posed a question, Jesus poses a question, and we actually see that. If you look at the version in Mark chapter 6, it says, Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? Sounds like, what do you have in your house? What's in your wallet? The question is posed again, and their response is simple and straightforward, as was the woman's. All we have are five barley loaves and two fish. All I have is this jar of olive oil. That's all I've got. Again, put yourself in the story with this woman or the disciples. A little discouragement. There might have been a little discouragement on, that, on their part. There may have been some excitement at first. Hey, we've got these five, five loaves of bread and two fish. And they lift up and look at the crowd. Hmm. These are very small portions. <laughs> so that was the problem. The plan was very simple. He said, have the people sit down on the grass. Get them in little groups, put them on the grass, have them sit down. Take a seat. Other versions say that he had them recline on the grass. What's the practice? Well, the practice is what Jesus does. Jesus looked up into heaven, gave thanks to God, and broke the bread into pieces. And then it says, and again, this is if you look at the the version in Mark, chapter 6, it says, he, Jesus, kept giving them to his disciples, who in turn gave it to the crowds, and he also divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus' practice was to give thanks to God, honor him in this moment, and then Jesus acted by doing what? Distributing. And the disciples had to have some faith in this too because they had to be willing to keep coming back, like, get out of here. We only had five loaves of bread here and two fish. Okay, I'm going to come back one time, and that's going to be it. It's out. But again, imagine if you're there, <laughs> and you have whatever your serving utensils are, and you get yours, and you, you go out to your first group of 50, and you're like, wow, and you come back, and they can, I don't know, 
there's 12 different groups being fed. And so now you come back for the, you're in the next rotation and like, there's more? And another group you go out to, 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 and it just, come on. I, I imagine, again, if, I, if, if I'm one of these guys, I'm, I'm getting excited. This is incredible. Where's this coming from? God is making supernatural provision, multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. And it says in this version, the food was multiplied in front of their eyes. Everyone ate until they were satisfied. Provision for right now. And it's enough. The provision is enough for right now. Everyone was satisfied. Anybody want a second? Sometimes you do that at some of the dinners. Sometimes you do it with the bread. Hey, anybody want more? We have more. And, and some people come back for seconds, sometimes thirds. I'll take it. I'll take it. Tell you satisfied. And so there was provision for the present, and we see also that there was provision for the future as well because there were leftovers. Provision for the present, provision for the future. God has provision for you in the right now, and God is making provision for you for the future. If you have needs in your life, situations that need a divine answer, cry out to God who hears the cries of the righteous. And he hears and he responds. He hears and he responds. He's not going to say, that's cool. Figure it out. He hears the cries of the righteous and he delivers them out of their trouble. 5,000 men were fed in addition to women and children. In other words, this crowd was more than 5,000 people. This is an incredible miracle. Five loaves of bread and two fish that when the plan of God was followed, fed all of these people. God has a plan for you. That plan might be very unique in your situation. He might speak to your heart and say, do this and do this. My advice to you is respond to God quickly. If you decide you want to figure it out, you're going to delay your own blessings. How can a finite mind grasp an infinite God? He's given us brains, and they are very useful for so many things. But with these finite minds, we'll never understand the infinite God. But you're not being asked to understand him. Your faith is, I believe him. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to understand all scripture. You don't have to quote chapter and verse of every detail of the situation. Simple words, Lord, I believe. I believe what you've said. Because I'm standing firmly upon your word, I expect to see your word come to pass in my life. I don't know how. I don't know what the timetable is, but you're going to take care of me. God is impressed neither with a grasp of the language or a lack of grasp. God looks at the heart of man. God sees the faith of man. And faith resides in the heart. And even when there are not words to describe your situation clearly in the manner that you think is appropriate. Come on, God made you. He understands. The Bible merely says that you don't have because you don't ask. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say this. You don't have because you don't ask according to the rules of grammar I prescribed and the syntax. It doesn't say that. It merely says you don't have because you don't ask. So what's the response to that? I think I should ask. Neither Jesus nor Elijah's miracles, they were not for show. Woo! The miracles show us that God provides for his people. 
and we see God's goodness demonstrated through his power. Great supply through great wonders. This, this was a genuine need. It was not God just merely showing off. It was God showing off of what he can do by meeting the needs of people. And why does he do that? Because we are the crown of his creation. God loves people. Most of us can quote the scripture, for God so loved the world. But somehow when we think of that, we think that we're some kind of an exclusion. No, God loves you. God loves me. And because of this, he loves to show himself strong, the Bible says, on behalf of those who love him. He loves to show himself strong. And so in Philippians 4.19, it says that God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply. 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 It doesn't say he might. It doesn't say if he's in a good mood. It doesn't say if you approach him correctly. It doesn't. God will supply. And these riches are found in Christ, according to his riches and glory in Christ or through Christ. And I would say this last thing to you, again, referencing the fact that God will supply every need. If there were never any needs, God wouldn't have to supply. And this is written to believers again, so clearly believers can find themselves in needy situations, in situations where they're needful. And I like to know that. That as a believer, I could be in a situation where I am in need. There would be no purpose for this scripture if Christians were never in need. And my God shall supply all your need. Well, Christians are never in need. Well, apparently they, they can be. And if you find yourself in that situation now or ever, my God will supply. My God will supply. My God will supply. My God will supply. Say that with me. My God will supply my every need. My God will supply my every need. My God will supply my every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? As we look on the horizon of the economic scene, it can be discouraging, but my God will supply. I don't know how, but my God will supply. Things might be crumbling around me. The economy might be tanking. My God will supply. My retirement might be dwindling, but my God will supply. My salary, my paycheck may not be enough to meet the costs of life. My God will supply. And these are things we have to establish in our heart. And so the reason we say some things out loud is just so we can give life to it. I'm going to continue to believe. I'm going to continue to believe. I'm going to continue to believe. There might be storm clouds on the horizon, maybe lightning hitting next door, maybe tragedy strikes. I'm going to, I'm going to believe, Lord, you will supply. So let's say that one more time. My God will supply my every need. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen.